0: All right, we are going to be in Romans chapter 2. And Romans chapter 2 starts with a very important word. And what is that word? Therefore. So because we start with therefore, we have to go back to the chapter before. Because everything that happened in Romans 1 leads up to chapter 2 now Romans 1 we went over last week we've gone over it before um, it is the chapter that describes the basic moral de- decaying of a people who suppress the truth those who knew God and glorify him not asked God neither were they thankful and God gave them up like he did the prodigal son and he gave him up to uncleanness in chapter 124 he gave him up to vile passions in Romans 126 and then finally gave him up to a debased mind in verse 28 and they were filled with sin sexual immorality wickedness covetousness and in verse 32 it ended quite dramatically with who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death Not only do the same, but approve those who practice them. So it describes a culture, a people, or a nation who, by suppressing the truth of God, not glorifying Him as God, not thankful to God, that um, the moral decay increases in such a rapid rate that people not only refuse to call it sin anymore, but they approve. And, and the Bible says that in these last days, what's good will be evil, and what is called evil will be called good. So we talk very specifically about how we are right there. There's no doubt about it, that if you look at Romans 1, the same immorality that is mentioned there gets to the point where now we have preachers who stand from a pulpit and just tell you that there's nothing wrong with homosexuality. They'll just tell you even though Romans 1 clearly calls it uh, unnatural and shameful. And um, one of the questions I was asked tonight was, what What would be the one advice I would give um, if I was going to give one piece of advice, and it would just be to study the Word. The Word is the truth. And the Word is, you know, we had... Um, A couple of different questions come this week at school that the the Bible very easily answers, very easily answers. And so now we get to therefore, he says in verse one, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourselves. For you who judge practice the same things. So this idea of thou shalt not judge Um, many people I think especially in 2022 um, for example if I was to tell you from the pulpit that the Bible teaches that homosexuality is an abomination to God the first thing I would be accused of by the outside world including those some in church would be what? you're judging but I am not judging because God made the rule once you're pointing out what God says you take yourself out of the position as judge you are, are making God the judge it's when we take something God says is wrong and we say it's okay then we become the judge all of a sudden we're the ones in charge and we're telling God he's wrong and so it takes a lot of pressure off of us to, to say thus saith the Lord thus saith the Lord thus saith the Lord But in this particular case, he is really speaking to pharisaical, uh, arrogant, prideful uh, Pharisees, Sadducees, priests who have rejected Jesus Christ. And their rejection of Christ allows them to be very judgmental of the immorality that they see in Romans 1. And he says, "But you're in ex- there's no excuse. Whoever you are, who judge for whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. Who judge? Those who judge practice the same things. So the real meat of chapter two and three is this very simple principle: We're all sinners. We're all sinners. And being we're all sinners, we are in no position to be judged. However, the Bible allows us to look at something and say it's right or wrong. Does that make sense to everybody? Verse 2. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. So, we live in a a culture in which we are going to decide what is sin and what is not sin. Well, the Bible says in, in... Psalm 14:2 The Lord looked down from heaven on the children of men to see if there are any who understand who seek God they have all turned aside they have all together become corrupt there is none who doeth good no not one Romans 3:19 states we are all guilty before God Romans 3:23 says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God all through Romans that's the foundation of salvation by grace through faith. In order to truly come to the cross, you have to first come to the knowledge of your sin. And once you come to the knowledge of your sin, then one word describes your next step. And what is that step? Repentance, to turn away from your sin. And so these men that Paul is writing to have rejected Christ. Yet, they live a holy life. Larry mentioned some of this this morning about the arrogance of how a Pharisee would pray or how he would give money and how he would, you know, fast and make sure everybody knew about it. But they are still in their sin because of their rejection of Jesus Christ. And that's the point Paul is making here in chapter 2. Every knee's going to bow, every tongue's going to confess. Let the word of God be the ultimate judge of what is right and what is wrong. And the goal of it is verse 3 and 4. And do you think, O oh man, you who judge those practicing such things and do the same, that you'll escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God is? leads to repentance we have a couple important words in verse 4 forbearance long suffering long suffering is a fruit of the spirit and it's a simple word that means to suffer for a long time and God suffers our continued rebelliousness our unthankfulness our glorifying him not as God our suppression of the truth and the reason God suppresses it so long is that his goal is that we come to repentance. God is not slack concerning his promises, but is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. There have been many people in Scripture, including the Apostle Paul, who we would look at and think they have no hope of ever becoming a Christian. But God knows. God knows. God um, the Bible says in Titus 3 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he has saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Not by works, Ephesians 2 8 and 9, we read that this morning, but according to his mercy he saved us. And his long suffering and, and forbearance and goodness of God leads to repentance. It's incredible that God demonstrates his love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Pretty amazing thing. I don't do this very often, but I read a really great quote from Charles Spurgeon. I don't know how anybody feels about Spurgeon, but I, this quote is really good. It says this, It seems to me that every morning when a man wakes up still impenitent or still unrepentant of his sins, He finds himself out of hell. The sunlight seems to say, I shine on thee another day, as that in this day you mayest repent. When your bed receives you at night, I think it seems to say, I will give you another night's rest, that you may live and turn from your sins and trust in Jesus. Every mouthful of bread that comes to the table, I have to support your body, that you may still have space for repentance. Every time you open the Bible, the pages say we speak with you that you may repent. Every time you hear a sermon, it'll be if such a sermon as God would have us pre- preached, it pleads with you to turn to the Lord and live. So he describes the life of a, of a non-Christian as every day having another chance. Every day the sun comes up, there's a chance you might repent. Every night's rest is, is to, and, and every bite of food is to keep you alive, that maybe you'll repent. We lose that a little bit when we, we, we look at our purpose. Our purpose really is to reach the lost and, and preach the word. Verse five says in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, there's that same word Spurgeon used, your treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. So this is a lot of what we talked about this morning. Every individual will answer to God. Every individual will stand before God. I had a long conversation with somebody on Saturday who was convinced that there was no hell, just convinced. And someone had come to me and asked me how to answer that question to somebody. And their question was, well, the Bible doesn't even mention hell. And they asked this person to find one verse that mentions hell. Well, there's many. There's just many. Because the Bible says each individual person will render to each one according to his deeds. And your deeds are you've either repented and come to Christ or you have not. He that has the son has what life. He that has not the son hath not. He does not the son has not life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Look at verse seven. This is there's no pulling of punches here. Eternal life to those who, by patient continuance in doing good, seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth. But obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. We live in a society that is constantly trying to divide us by our... Uh, financial status by the color of our skin, by our nationality, by our genders, and we're constantly talking about equality and equality and equality. Well, the ultimate equality is Christ. there is no respecter of persons with God; there is n- neither Jew nor Greek nor rich, nor poor nor male nor female whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved we are all equally sinners and we all equally have the same opportunity to come to Christ uh, if you really study this is a, a the Old Testament laws of offerings um, in the Old Testament laws of offerings there were certain offerings like trespass offerings that would Require an offering, and it might be a bull, it might be a lamb, and it might be all the way down to a pigeon. And the idea was it didn't matter your financial status, you could go find a pigeon. If you had no money, you could go find a pigeon, and you could bring that offering to God because salvation is available to one and all, whoever God calls to the Jew first and to the Greek. There's no partiality with God. It's a beautiful thing. Peter understood this when he went to Cornelius. He opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, Acts 10.34. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. This was a new thing for Peter. He saw the vision of the food that came down on the blanket. He said, oh, that's unclean. And God said, don't call anything common that I call clean. And he learned this lesson. So the Bible says to make sure that you don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth. The consequences of eternal damnation, which is what you see in these verses. God will render to each one, verse 6, according to his deeds. There's no partiality. It's all equal. You either accept the truth of Jesus Christ, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Or you don't. It's the same for everyone. God is not the author of confusion. He lays out the plan of salvation very clearly in Scripture. We are the ones who get in there and mess it all up. So verse 12, he goes on to explain this a little bit in more detail. While these next few verses sound a little complicated, as you walk through them carefully, the point he's trying to make is Christ is the way of salvation. There is no partiality with God. And ultimately, it is the gospel that judges us. Look at these verses. For as many as have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. As many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. Well, who is he talking about? Well, those without the law would be the Gentiles. Those within the law will be the Jews. Now, if you want to live by the law, and this is the real crux of everything. We are either saved by grace or we are saved by works. Well, we know we're not saved by works. Titus 3.5 made that very clear. Ephesians 2.8 and 9 makes it very clear. And yet, the Pharisees really want the law to be the standard for salvation because it makes them look good. They can pretend that they are keeping this law and that they are holy and they are doing everything right even though Paul writes to them it's inexcusable to stand in judgment of others in that manner but if you want to live by the law well then you're going to be judged by the law and how does the law judge you? what are the standards? keep all the law and you can go to heaven if you're guilty of one then what happens? You're guilty of them all. That's why Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. When we give the uh, kids' as illustration, uh, we, we create a picture in which there's a, a, a chasm or a, a canyon, and you're over here and God's over here. And if you want to try to get across that canyon, and the canyon is hell, to God on your own, it doesn't matter how close you get if you fall short on your jump and if you're a horrible, terrible sinner and you can't get very far you fall to your death maybe you're a good person that does pretty good things and and you get a pretty good leap but if you still fall short of God then you still are in hell all have sinned and fallen what? short of the glory of God so the glory of God is the standard We all fall short. And the only thing, and then what you can do is you can draw a cross that looks like a bridge. And the cross is the only thing. There's one mediator through man and God, the man Christ Jesus. So in verse 12, if you want to be judged by the law, remember, it has taught us something. And Karen is exactly right. can't keep it. Verse 13, For not hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but doers of the law are justified. Just going to church and hearing, you "Know, be thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery," and hearing it doesn't save you. You have to keep every one of them. Verse fourteen: For when the Gentiles, who do not have the law, by nature do the things in the law, these, although they have not the law, are a law to themselves. Now, I'm going to tell you about this verse for a second, only because I remember specifically I was a pretty new Christian, but I was in an airport for some reason. And being saved was kind of new to me. And Liz, it might have been when I was picking you up. I think it was. But the the idea of all these people walking in the airport, going different places, crowded as it was, I just thought, how many people don't even realize that they're not saved? And why are they just standing in line doing what they're... How do they know to do right? How do they know to say thank you? How do they know to say please? Why isn't there a riot if we're all sinners? And it's amazing that God, as we are all created in His image, even those apart from the law, keep the law. You can go to the jungles of New Guinea to a a, a tribe that is uncivilized and they will have laws. They will have laws. And one of those laws usually is you shouldn't steal things. It's interesting. Because look what it says. Verse 15. Who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, what's the last part of verse 16? How are we going to be judged according to that verse 16? According to the gospel. What is the gospel? Paul said in 1 Corinthians, I declare unto you the gospel that Jesus died for your sins, was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures that's what you're going to be judged by. Nothing else. If you're judged by your works, we're all guilty. But if we're judged by the work of Christ, you can be saved. It's amazing. Indeed, he says in verse 17, you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God. All you men, you men, boast in God because you rest on the fact that you are Pharisees and and purveyors of the law but know his will and approve the things that are excellent being instructed out of the law verse 19 you're confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind a light to those who are in darkness an instructor of the foolish a teacher of babes having the form of knowledge and truth in the law and that is a huge problem in our everybody thinks they're right every man is right in his own eyes the bible says but the end of his way is death we all think we got it we all think we know well how it ends we we could just say well i don't believe there's a hell well it doesn't matter what you believe it matters what god says what we know this is what I told them. the answer. The Bible is the truth. Jesus is the way and the truth. And, and we can trust it. And the world just makes stuff up. Well, there's no hell. and well, God wouldn't do this. And God would say this. Well, God wouldn't have a problem with this. And God wouldn't do this. It's just not the truth. It, 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 what God says is the truth. And that's what he's trying to get across to them in verse 2. It's only through Christ. You therefore, verse 21... Who teach another? Do you not teach yourself? You who preach a man should not steal, do you steal? You say do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law? Do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you as it is written. He says you have become hypocrites. And if we're going to live by the law then we automatically become hypocrites. Because no one can keep it. So if you stand up as these Pharisees would do proclaiming themselves to be something that they're not the whole world knows that they're uh, dishonest. The whole world, look, you're going to sin. People are going to see it. The law cannot save us and we are hypocrites if we preach and teach a doctrine of works. However, if you preach the truth of the gospel, which is what? We are all sinners. When I have failed in the past many times, many times somebody will say to me, well, that's no way for a preacher to act. And there's a good point there. But then they'll say, you're just being a hypocrite. And then I will respond with, well, What I've claimed to be is a sinner who was saved by the grace of God. So therefore, if I do stumble and fail, I'm not a hypocrite because I'm exactly who I said I was. I'm a sinner saved by grace. But if I come up here and tell you that as a Christian I have no sin, well, I'm a liar and I'm a hypocrite. And that's what the Pharisees were doing. And they're trying to get their attention off of the law and on to grace. Which brings us to verse 25. Pretty incredible verses here. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you're a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So at eight days old. These young men are circumcised, and in their minds, they believe that saves them. But the truth is, if you're going to live by that law, and that circumcision is that 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 symbolic uh, act of, of union with God and the law, but if they reject Christ, their circumcision does them no good. Just like. Water baptism does you no good, unless you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior verse twenty six therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not as circumcision be count will not as uncircumcision be counted as circumcision. Will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you, who even with your written code and circumcision, are transgressors of the law. Verse 28 is the key. He is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Great ending we are not interested in what church deems us to be good or bad we are not interested in what works that we do to earn our way to heaven Uh, it is only what God says and here's what it says the last verse we'll read is Acts chapter 4 there is a requirement for salvation and that requirement is simply to trust in Christ Acts chapter 4, verse 8. They've arrested Peter. They, he's, he's healed a man. And the Pharisees and Sadducees are greatly disturbed by this in verse 2. In verse 8, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit says, Rulers are the people of elders of Israel. If we are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he's been made well... Let it be known to you all that at the name of the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. Verse 11. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders and has become the chief cornerstone. Verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men which by we must be saved. I want you to picture for a second Martin Luther transcribing these words, going through Romans word by word and verse by verse, and seeing these words spoken to the the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and yet he sees they apply very specifically to the priests of his time. And he's able to look at these verses get away from the religion and focus only on Christ and come to the realization that we're not saved by works. That we are saved by grace through faith alone. If we want to live by the law, we are judged by the law. And the law will leave you guilty. But if you live by faith through grace, then your sins are washed away and you will stand before God as his child, living forever in eternity with him. It's beautiful. It's just a beautiful chapter. Now, chapter 2 is kind of a a building block for chapter 3, which is really where some of the greatest verses that you'll ever read are. And so we'll look forward to that next week. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for those who have stayed tonight, those who have given your word proper respect, proper attention. Lord, as we go through this very... Uh, deep amazing book Lord it is all about taking our attention away from the works of the flesh and towards the work of Jesus Christ on that cross that whoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life we will be judged by the gospel and the gospel is the good news of Christ if we believe it and trust in it we will be saved if we reject it and want to live by our own merits We will be lost. Heavenly Father, help us to get this word out to those who need to hear it. In Jesus' name, amen.